Good afternoon and welcome to the first episode of RTT RevCon Recap, where the future leaders of nuclear policy will be sharing our takes on the events so far of the 10th NPT Review Conference. For those who do not know, the NPT, or the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, was passed with the goal of preventing the further spread of nuclear weapons. It was adopted in 1968 and became international law in 1970. The treaty is revisited every five years at the review conference, which is currently taking place at the UN headquarters over the entire month of August. The review conference consists of not only state meetings, but also a plethora of side events on the topic, many of which we've been able to attend. Now, this review conference has been delayed several times due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so we're really thrilled that th this important conference was finally able to be held. The week started with us attending introductory remarks in the general debate. In this, the countries made remarks about their own commitments to the NPT and the steps they have made to abide by it. Excellency Mr. Anthony John Blinken, Secretary of State of the United States of America, to take the floor. Director General Grossi, thank you all for your long-standing leadership on non-proliferation. I noted that uh, Prime Minister Kishida of Japan is here as well this morning, which sends a very powerful message. Uh, earlier this year, he reaffirmed Japan's commitment to non-proliferation in a joint statement with President Biden. And a very special thanks to the foreign ministers, the deputy foreign ministers, the teams who have traveled to New York for these meetings and to get us off to a good start. Uh, it's great to be with all of you here in person today, um, especially, especially given the critical role the NPT has played in upholding the global non-proliferation regime. In these remarks, many important concepts were talked about. I'd like to start with a discussion surrounding the United States. The U.S. is an important statement to look for, seeing that it is the only country to ever use a nuclear bomb in a combat setting. Anthony Blinken, the current U.S. Secretary of State, delivered the remarks. I was wondering what you guys' thoughts were on the U.S.'s attitude towards this conference and nuclear nonproliferation as a whole. Yeah, so the United States will affirm in speech after speech their commitment to nuclear nonproliferation, but only for other states. In Anthony Blinken's state speech at this review conference, the U.S. delegation tried to present their progress as, quote-unquote, the number of nuclear weapons in our stockpile is now nearly 90% lower than it was at its height in 1967. But while the sheer amount of nuclear weapons in the U.S. stockpile may be numerically lower, there is no telling how much of an energy yield this relatively smaller nuclear arsenal holds. Nuclear Age Peace Foundation President Ivana Hughes, in a recent side event, brought up how technological development has made the threat of nuclear weapons more dangerous than ever in human history. We may not be embroiled in all-out global conflict, but one singular nuclear bomb built within the last 10 years may have the yield of maybe 10 or more nuclear bombs made back in the 1950s. Even still, the U.S. delegation used their time in the general debate condemning the likes of DPRK and Iran for their nuclear testing programs, as they sit idly by with no comment on the way that they have grossly mishandled and continue to ignore the grave health implications American nuclear testing is currently having on the Marshall Islands. The U.S. delegation repeated the phrase that is no stranger to the NPT Review Conference, a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Yet, in the same breath, they maintained that the U.S. would consider the use of nuclear weapons in quote-unquote extreme circumstances 
to defend the vital interests of the United States, its allies, and partners. Needless to say, the United States is not a fan of the TPNW. They have instead focused their efforts on conflict risk reduction. And though some delegations have accepted that risk reduction cannot be a substitute for total disarmament, they still use it as a talking point, I think, in a way to distract from their lack of progress in actual disarmament. Though the United States has always been an important topic of conversation about their approach in the NPT and nuclear disarmament as a whole, but this review con but this review conference, there are many current events that have become a large topic of conversation. The, one of the most prominent is the ongoing war in Ukraine. The Russian invasion has been ongoing since February of this year. Many countries voice their support for the people of Ukraine and condemn the actions of Russia, including the United States, Argentina, Sweden, and many more. The war in Ukraine has brought the possibility of nuclear conflict to the forefront of many people's minds. Russia has made threats of nuclear war if other countries should get directly involved with the conflict. On top of the fear of nuclear weapons, the Zaporizhia nuclear facility in Ukraine has been an important topic of conversation at the conference. This is the largest nuclear power plant in Europe and is currently being held by Russian forces. The plant has been shelled and there are worries it could cause a meltdown. This plant is almost twice the size that the Chernobyl plant was. The Ukrainian conflict has the unique ability to demonstrate the risks of both nuclear weapons and nuclear power. How do you believe that the Ukrainian conflict is shaping the NPT conference and the sense of urgency around nuclear conflict around the world? Peter, I'll field this question to you. It's really difficult to say precisely how the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the geopolitical conflicts leading up to it are shaping this NPT review conference. But a few things that might, but a few things might be worth consideration. I think, in the bigger picture, this demonstrates a serious challenge to the functionality of an international legal body such as the United Nations. It is really the only political body of its kind, and yet we can see how geopolitical conflict between the nation states poses a serious threat to the global order, such as threats of nuclear war, the climate crisis, and the war's negative impact on the environment, especially when nuclear energy facilities exist in zones of conflict. In this way, the Ukrainian conference conflict sort of casts a shadow of a doubt on the legitimacy of the UN itself. But I also think it's worth mentioning something that international law expert Richard Falk has done much work on. That is, the moral, political, and legal obligations of the UN are limited by the accommodation of traditional Westphalian geopolitics, i.e. like the accommodation of pursuits of national interests, conflicts with the quest for a truly international political structure which can confront the global challenges that are so desperately in need of attention. I think that is something that we are going to see at this conference. I will just wrap up this comment by saying, by, by saying that it really does appear as a power struggle. In order to face global challenges, I think that those countries with nuclear weapons must be pressured to reconsider their role, quite literally, in the world. This will require prudence on behalf of those with greater power, and perhaps even more importantly, an organized pressure from below on behalf of civil society. There are many more important topics that can be discussed from the first week of the review conference, but one that cannot be forgotten is the TPNW. The TPNW, also known as the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, is different from the NPT in that it has a set focus on the complete eradication of nuclear weapons. Though in the NPT, Article 6 says that countries should pursue negotiations in good faith to disarm, 
After 50 years, it is clear that this article is not enough. Due to its stricter language, many states refuse to sign, instead saying that the NPT is enough. These states that refuse to sign include all of those with nuclear capabilities and the members of NATO. Belgium even claimed in its statements that the TPNW is entirely incompatible with NATO commitments. This comes while several states, including Russia and China, have criticized NATO for sharing nuclear technology within itself. NATO has defended itself from this, claiming that its nuclear sharing is allowed under the conditions of the NPT. What are your thoughts on the status of the TPNW and its importance as a document in the context of this review session? Also, how does the criticism levied against NATO for being a nuclear alliance impact its willingness to support the TPNW? I'm excited about the vocal support for the TPNW that we've heard so far from a number of states at this month's review conference, including the members of the New Agenda Coalition, especially New Zealand, Mexico, Ireland, and Egypt, as well as Austria, Palestine, the Philippines, and states that have suffered from nuclear testing like Kazakhstan, Kiribati, and the Marshall Islands. In particular, I've been excited to hear strong statements that have not only called on remaining states to join the TPNW, but have actually insisted that the conclusions of the TPNW must be reflected in a final outcome document to be adopted by the conference. The 1996 ICJ advisory opinion on the legality of nuclear weapons concluded that the use and threat of use of nuclear weapons are contrary to international humanitarian law, but gave some slight leeway in terms of the status of nuclear weapons under international law that the nuclear weapon states have been able to use to their advantage when it left ambiguous whether the use or threat of use would still be illegal in extreme cases of self-defense. The doctrine of nuclear deterrence is responsive to this idea, and the U.S. has said on a number of occasions, including at this review conference, that it would only use nuclear weapons in an extreme case out of, quote, self-defense or the defense of its allies in line with this gap in the ICJ opinion. And the NPT itself, though it is at its core a document based on the illegitimacy of nuclear weapons, has in its history and as a living document often been weaponized by nuclear weapon states and their allies who benefit from the inclusion of nuclear weapons in their security doctrines to confer legitimacy on nuclear weapons. And this conferring of legitimacy is visible everywhere, from former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair's 2007 assertion that the treaty, quote, makes it absolutely clear that Britain has the right to possess nuclear weapons, to the fact that a state party like the US can stand before the review body and say, as Secretary of State Antony Blinken did last Monday, that it is proud to maintain a role for nuclear weapons in its security doctrine and has plans to continue modernizations of its arsenal. The international legal architecture of disarmament has been sorely missing a document that categorically, unequivocally rejects nuclear weapons and all related activities as illegal. And that's the gap that the TPNW, with its entry into force in January of last year, fills. By pushing for many of the findings of the TPNW to be reflected in the outcome of this NPT review conference, the state's parties to the TPNW are trying to restore the NPT to its foundational consensus on the illegitimacy of nuclear weapons, ensuring up any remaining legal gaps that the nuclear weapon states can hide in. The vocal TPNW states here at the NPT review conference are fighting to make the NPT a different kind of document than the nuclear weapon states and their allies who need the NPT to still be a document that can be interpreted as conferring legitimacy on their nuclear monopolies 
want it to be. The way I see it, there's this basic interpretive tension between two different camps of NPT states parties. Nuclear weapon states and their allies on the one hand, who want to leave intact the, the legitimacy of nuclear weapon possession by a handful of states, and TPNW states on the other hand, who are insisting that who are insisting on the complete legit illegitimacy, complete illegality of nuclear weapons in all cases. It goes without my saying so that all states should ratify the TPNW, but pending this goal, it would be a major victory if the vocal TPNW states were to win out in this conflict of interpretations and the conference were to adopt an outcome document that will reflect at least some of the ideas and basic disposition of the TPNW. And to this end, it would also be a major victory if the outcome document affirmed the complementarity of the TPNW with the NPT as an implementation of Article 6, which is specific language that the TPNW states have been fighting for. Adopting a view of the TPNW as a successful instantiation of the NPT on par with the CTBT or nuclear weapon-free zones and negating the view of nuclear weapon states and their allies that the TPNW is distinct and divergent from the NPT would do a lot, again, to realign the NPT with its foundational view of the illegitimacy of nuclear weapons. At the very least, though, it's been great to hear states like Palestine saying that nuclear weapons are and have always been illegal under international law. This is throwing down a very explicit challenge to the self-serving interpretations of the NPT by nuclear weapon states and their allies. The TPNW states are not letting the nuclear weapon states get away with claiming any legality for nuclear weapons at this review conference. Thanks for the analysis, Megan. I'm in agreement that support for the TPNW is an exciting development in all of this. I'll just add at this point, I'm most keen on hearing and interrogating the statements made on behalf of the nuclear weapon states. Some, some an analysts have utilized the phrase nuclear apartheid where there is such a strong division between the nuclear have and have-nots. Though there may or may not be a better term, it emphasizes an important power dynamic at play. The TPNW is so important because it actually bans nuclear weapons under international law, and I think we should all pay special attention to the ways in which this international treaty is discussed, or maybe deliberately not discussed, by those on either side of the division. We live in a perilous age, and there happens to be no room left for accepting the unacceptable. Nuclear armed powers should be no exception to an international law based upon moral imperatives. On that note, thank you to everyone for tuning into the first episode of the NAPF RevCon Recap podcast, and thank you to Megan and Peter for hosting the episode.